as a result. What will happen as a result is that it will cause us to walk in his statutes. So in other words, the plan of God, the purpose of God, the will of God. So how does God make a man, wire a man to walk in the purpose of God? It is by God putting God's own spirit inside man so that the spirit that is now located within a man as per the Ezekiel 36 prophecy will be the spirit of God. So you can say then that man will become a possessor of the spirit of the living God. Now let's look at 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians and chapter 13, right? I'm going to go right to verse, verse 14. That's the last thing Paul told the Corinthians. He says, the grace of the Lord Jesus and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Ghost be with you all. Amen. Now, if we look at that a bit more closely, uh, uh, it reads this way. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. You see that word and there, right? Well, it is, uh, uh, it is from a word in the Greek that actually uh, is a further explanation. You know, in the English, uh, I, um, you could say seku and Pastor Paul. Well, Seku is not Pastor Paul, but you could say, well, uh, Pastor Paul and Tish's dad. Now, Pastor Paul and Tish's dad, that's the sense in which he's talking about uh, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God. So Pastor Paul is also Tish's dad. So, so Tish's dad is a further explanation of Pastor Paul. Not two entities, but the same entity with one being a further explanation of the other. So that way you can say the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that is to say the love of God, which is the communion of the Holy Ghost. So we can say the grace of Jesus, or we can say the love of God, or we can say the communion of the Holy Ghost. You see that word communion is a word that means to share or to give or to distribute or to supply. So we can read that text this way. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, that is to say the love of God, which is the supply or the giving of the Holy Ghost. Now, the word ghost there is Old English. The word used and translated ghost there is exactly the same word that otherwise in the Bible is translated as spirit. So we can read it this way, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, which is the love of God. So in other words, when we are talking about the grace of Jesus, we are talking about the love of God. The love of God is not one thing, and then the grace of Jesus, another. The, the grace of Jesus is the love of God, which is the supply of the Holy Spirit. Holy means distinct, right? Something distinct, something for a particular purpose, a separation. So we can read that this way as the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, which is the love of God, that is the supply of the distinct spirit. What distinct spirit? Well, that which was prophesied in Ezekiel that says, I will put my spirit within you. So in other words, the grace of Jesus puts that spirit within us or the love of God Put that spirit within us. So what did the love of God do? Well, the love of God gave us the spirit of God as God had promised he will do. 
So we can read this better. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, which is the love of God, that is to say the supply of that distinct spirit. You see the word be there. If you have a good Bible, uh, really, you will discover that in your Bible, yeah, as in mine, that word be is italicized. That means it wasn't there, but was added by the translators because they thought it would help us. But in this case, you lose nothing by completely deleting it uh, yeah so in that case it would be the grace of our lord jesus christ which is the love of god which is the supply of the distinct spirit with you so what where is the grace of god with us where is the love of god with us what is that grace or what is that love well that grace or that love is the holy spirit with me so in Ezekiel, it was a promise. I will put my spirit. Well, Paul is helping us to see that in the epistles, as a result of what Christ has done or the grace of Jesus, that spirit is no longer a promise, but is with us, really in us now. Now, if you look at Galatians and chapter five, uh, Galatians three, sorry, Galatians three, and I go all the way to verse 14, it says, that the blessing, Galatians chapter 3, verse 14, it says that the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ. So there's a blessing of Abraham, and that blessing comes on the Gentiles, people that were not biologically born by Abraham, it comes through Jesus Christ. What is that blessing? That we might receive the promise of the spirit through faith. So that spirit that God promised through Ezekiel in Ezekiel 36, we, although not born biologically by Abraham, well, through Jesus Christ, we, are, we have received the promise of the spirit. So the blessing of Abraham is the promise of a spirit that we have received. So when a man receives the spirit of God through Jesus Christ, that man has received the blessing of Abraham. Look, look at Romans and chapter eight, Romans and chapter eight. It goes all the way to, I, I go to verse nine, but ye, you see, ye is old English, it's a plural pronoun. So it's talking about many people together. So we can say all of you. So, but all of you, so you believers or you Christians, you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. So the believer is not in the flesh. The believer is in the spirit. If so be that the spirit of God dwell in you. So a man in Christ, a man, a believer, a saint, a Christian, whatever title you want to use for it. The moment we say somebody is born again, what we mean is that the spirit of God dwells in that person now. Right. And it says again, Romans 8, 9, but you are not in the flesh. So that means to be in the flesh would be to be without the spirit. So the man without the spirit is the man that is said to be in the flesh. But the man that is uh, in Christ Jesus is said to be in the spirit. In fact, the spirit of God dwells in that person. In other words, what God said to Ezekiel in Ezekiel and 36, 27, I will put my spirit within you has come to pass for the believer. So it says again, Romans 8, 9, but you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if so be, that the spirit of God dwell in you. So your heart is settled on a fact that the moment you believe and receive by the gospel, the spirit of God dwells in you, right? The spirit, it says, now, if any man have not the spirit of Christ, he is none of his. 
So how do we describe the believer? The believer is one, a man in whom the spirit of God is. How did the spirit of God get there? God put a spirit there. How did God put a spirit there? By the man believing the gospel. Now, so look at 1 John 4. 1 John chapter 4. 1 John 4, and I'm in verse 13. 1 John 4, 13. Hereby know we that we dwell in him. So we are in him. So we know that we dwell in him and he in us. So we are in him. He is in us. Why? Because he has given us of his spirit. So the spirit of God is no longer with God. The spirit of God is now inside the man that believes. Why? Because God gave him his spirit to us. Remember that 2 Corinthians uh, that uh, we read a while ago, 2 Corinthians 13, 14, the grace of our Lord Jesus, which is the love of God. That is, that is the supply, the giving of a spirit with you. So God was the one that gave us his spirit. In fact, look at Galatians. Galatians and chapter uh, 4. Galatians 4 says, because you are sons. Now, who is a son? A son is an inheritor, somebody that has the inheritance of a father. So it says in Galatians 4, 6, because you are sons, God, or because you are inheritors, God has sent forth the spirit of his son where into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So the believer then is a man in whom the spirit of the son has found a home. That's the believer, right? The believer, look at uh, look at what Paul said in 1 Corinthians and chapter 3. Uh, I go back to verse 16, 1 Corinthians 3, 16. He says, know ye not that ye are the temple of God? So what are we? We are the temple of God, right? He says, do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the spirit of God dwelleth in you? So the mighty fact, the big fact that Paul wanted to get across to the Corinthians was the reality of the indwelling of the spirit, even for the Corinthians. Now, I don't know about you, if you've read about the Corinthians, they were a wild bunch, a weird bunch. But even then, Paul said that they did not know that the spirit of God dwells in them. So we can then comfortably say this, that the believer is a man who has the spirit of God in him, permanently so. Now, look at Ephesians and chapter 1. Ephesians 1, and I'm going to go to verse 13. When does a man have a spirit? Look at verse 13, Ephesians 1, 13. In whom ye also trusted, after that you heard the word of truth, the gospel. What did we hear? We heard the gospel. What gospel? The gospel of your salvation in whom also after that you believed so number one we heard the gospel of salvation number two we believed what happened after we believed ye were sealed with that holy spirit of promise with the same holy spirit of promise that we read about in galatians 3 14 just a while ago so when does a man receive the spirit of promise when the man believes the gospel so there is no such thing as a man has believed the gospel and he doesn't have the spirit. No, the moment a man believes the gospel, right, he is sealed with the Holy Spirit 
yeah, that is the promise of God. So the man that has believed the gospel has by believing it right now become the dwelling place of the spirit of God. That's important. Now, you come with me then to Acts chapter 8. I want to show you something. So if you look at Acts chapter 8, yeah, in Acts chapter 8, we are told in verse 5 that Philip went down to the city of Samaria. What did he do there? He preached Christ unto them. So the message of Philip was Christ. Now, uh, what happened in verse 6? The people with one accord, they gave heed to those things that Philip spake. So Philip preached Christ. The people paid heed to what Philip preached. Then it now says in verse 12, but when they believed Philip, preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God. So Philip went there to preach. They gave attention to Philip. Then they believed what Philip preached. Okay. Now, so at that point, based on Ephesians and chapter one, based on Romans and chapter eight, based on Galatians and chapter four, based on Galatians and chapter three, based on second Corinthians and chapter 13, based on Ezekiel and 28, we can comfortably say that the moment that they believed the things that Philip was preaching, they became the house of the spirit of God. Now, you, if you then go down with me to verse 14, Acts 8, 14. Now, when the apostles, which were at Jerusalem, heard that Samaria had received the word of God. Stop. So what did they hear? They heard that Samaria had received the word of God. What did Samaria receive? The word of God. Who preached the word of God? Philip. What, how did they receive the word of God? Well, verse 12 tells us they believed. So a man receives the word of God by believing the pre what is preached. Now, what did we say about what happens the moment a man believes the word of God? Well, he receives the spirit. So verse 14, Acts 8, 14, the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God. Then what happened? They sent unto them Peter and John. Why? Look at verse 15, Acts 8, 15. So who, that's Peter and John, when they were come down, they prayed. They prayed for them. Who are the them? The people that had received the word of God in verse 14. So it says they prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Ghost. Okay. They prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Ghost. So somebody says, well, Seku, I thought you just said that the moment a person believes the word of God, he has received the Holy Ghost. Yes. Now, let's slow down here. If you look at verse 14, verse 14 says, uh, if it, there's a word that is common to verse 14 and verse 15. In verse 14, it says, uh, Samaria had received, right? Samaria had received the word of God. You see that word received there? Then go to verse 15. It says, who, when they were come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Ghost. You see that word receive in verse 14 is not the same word as that word receive in verse 15. Although our English Bibles, uh, our beautiful King James or whatever version you use, yeah, makes it look like 
uh, the reception in verse 14 is uh, the same reception in verse 15. No, you see, the word used in verse 14 is the word dekomai. It simply means to welcome something, right? Whereas in verse 15, the word used is the word lambano. Lambano means to seize something. So something is there, you are taking it. You are taking hold of something. You are seizing something. You, yeah. Now, so in verse 15, then when it says, uh, when they were come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Ghost. What they did was they prayed for them that they might take hold, that they might seize the Holy Ghost. What Holy Ghost? The Holy Ghost that they already received in verse 14, when they welcome the word of God. So when, when they welcome God's word, when they believe God's word, when they believe the gospel, they were sealed with the spirit of promise. Because anybody that does not have the Holy Ghost is in the flesh. So these guys, the moment they believed the gospel, they were not in the flesh, but they were in the spirit. But according to verse 15, they were not taking hold. So they had something, but they were not taking hold of it. Now, that would be similar to, I, I have a thousand naira in my pocket and I am going around unconscious of the 1,000 naira in my pocket. So a man with a thousand naira in his pocket could actually still uh, find himself famished or hungry, right? Because he is not taking account of the resources at his disposal. In this case, the Holy Ghost had been given. The promise had been fulfilled, right? The riches of God had been dispensed. Uh, God, as by the grace of God, made the, by the grace of Jesus, made the Holy Ghost uh, and supplied that Holy Ghost into the believers. But the believers were not doing anything with the spirit that they had received. So verse 15, Peter and John then came down. Why? Believers ought to do something with the Holy Ghost that they have received. So a man might have the Holy Ghost and yet not do anything about that Holy Ghost or with that Holy Ghost. And it will be like he does not have the Holy Ghost. But really, he has the Holy Ghost because he is not in the flesh, but he is in the spirit. So what, what did they... Um, uh, um, uh, Peter and John do. Peter and John did not say, Philip, get up again, preach the gospel to them. You must preach the gospel to them so that they can believe again and believe and believe and believe and believe. No, that's not what they did. Rather, they came to do something phenomenal. Look at verse 15. Acts 8, 15. Who, when they were come down, prayed for them that they might receive. Notice, they didn't, they didn't come that God might give them. They came to pray for them that they might receive. So the issue was not on God's side. God had given, uh, and they were already possessors of the Holy Ghost. But rather, they were now meant to receive, that means lambano, that's the Greek word, or which means to seize or to take over. Yeah. So in verse 15, it says, who, when they were come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Ghost. Okay. So the Holy Ghost was available 
in them. That's the key thing. The Holy Ghost was available in them. The Holy Ghost was not in some far away dimension, but was on the inside of them. Because the Bible says, anyone that does not have the spirit of God, right, can, uh, 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 is none of these. So these guys had the spirit of God, but they were not doing a lambano. They were not doing a taking hold. They were not taking record of what was theirs. Now, so it now says in verse um, 16, look at verse 16. For, for what does it mean to receive the Holy Ghost here in verse 15? It says that they might receive the Holy Ghost. That means that they might take hold. What does it mean to take hold of the Holy Ghost? The next verse explains it, verse 16. For as yet, he was it was falling upon none of them. Now, what does it mean for the Holy Ghost to fall upon somebody? Well, come with me to Acts chapter 10. In Acts 10, I'm going to go to verse 43. Peter is preaching in verse 43. In verse 43, he says, uh, uh, it's in the middle of this after Peter has preached that our God anointed Jesus and other with the Holy Ghost and power and all that. Now look at verse 40. Uh, 43, it says to him, give all the prophets witness that through his name, whosoever believeth in him shall receive remission of sins. So what does a person receive by believing in Jesus? Well, Peter says the remission of sins. Why? That is what the prophet said will happen. Okay, now look at verse 44. While Peter yet speak these words, the Holy Ghost fell. On. Now, look at what the Holy Ghost fell on means. The Holy Ghost fell on all them which heard the word. It says in verse 45, what does that mean? And they of a circumcision which believed were astonished, as many as came with Peter, because that on the Gentiles had been poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost. How do we know? 46, for they heard them speak with tongues. Okay, so when it says the Holy Ghost fell on them in verse 44, it means they spoke in tongues. No, not that a spirit moved their mouth, not that God forced their mouth open. Instead, they, they did something. So they spoke in tongues. So the Holy Ghost falling on them simply means they did something. It doesn't mean if you are in that place, you will have seen something from the sky. And you will say, hey, it is dropping like a, like a Superman and it's like a fireball. And it's no, no, no. It's not, it's not, it's not uh, physical, it's spiritual. So the Holy Ghost falling, is men that believe doing something. In this case, speaking with tongues. So let's go back to Acts 8. So Acts 8 and verse um, 15. Who, when they were come, prayed for them that they, look at it again, not God, that they, they might receive the Holy Ghost, which means that they might seize, might take hold. Why? For as yet he was falling upon none of them. What does that mean? So we've explained from Acts 10 what it means for the Holy Ghost to fall on people. We've shown from Acts 10 that the Holy Ghost falling on people is men that believe actually speaking supernaturally in other tongues. So verse 16 means, oh, they were praying for them in verse 15. So that in verse, uh, why? Because they had not started to speak in tongues. Why had they not started to speak in tongues? They had not done a lambano. No. They had not taken hold. They are not seized. They are not taking it as their own uh, prerogative or their initiative to take of the Holy Ghost in them and put that to use. So it says, uh, what happened then in verse 17? Then 
laid they, that means Peter and John, their hands on the believers or them that they and they received, right? And they received. Now, so what does it mean that they received? That means they began to speak with other tongues. Okay, so what did the laying on of hands do for them? The laying on of hands helped them to receive or helped them to take hold of what was present in their lives, the spirit of God. Right. In other words, the moment that God gave the Holy Ghost to you in redemption, it is up to you what you do with the Holy Ghost. Now, ministers come around to help you lay hold of what is on your inside. Now, nobody can give you the Holy Ghost because it is the grace of God that gives the Holy Ghost. Now, somebody can preach the gospel and then somebody believes the gospel and that moment they receive the Holy Ghost. After receiving the Holy Ghost, they still might not do anything with that Holy Ghost. So ministers come around, people come around. And so when we come together, when we fellowship together, as you have in a camp meeting, as you have in a Holy Ghost meeting, a believers meeting, or those kind of atmospheres, you have an enhancement, something that helps you become conscious of what you have from God already. So the believer, right, has supernatural inheritance, now, the believer that has the inheritance might neglect it, but the believer should not neglect it. Now, hence, we have meetings, yeah? Meetings of a sort that uh, rather than neglect, we actually collectively become conscious of what we have. And then we do something with what we have. You see, let me say one more time, the Holy Ghost is God's gift to you as a Christian for you to do with that spirit, right? That which is the Father's purpose and plan. Now, it is your prerogative. It is your job to make use of the spirit of God. And uh, hold on, let me show you something. Um, um, look at verse 18, Acts 8, 18. And when Simon saw that through laying on of hands, the Holy Ghost was given, he offered them money, saying, give me also this power that on whomsoever I lay my hands, uh, they may receive the Holy Ghost. 20, Peter said unto him, uh, that money perish with thee because you thought you could, uh, that the gift of God should purchase with money. 21, look at 21, very important. Thou hast neither part nor lot in this matter. You see that would matter there. <laughs> that would matter there is extremely important. Yeah, so you don't have any part or lot in these words. You don't have any part of lot in this. So, so what that means, Simon saw something. There was something that Simon saw that when Simon saw it, it was uh, saw it, it could say, Wow, wow, now uh, there's something phenomenal has happened. The believers are starting to make a uh, use. Uh, they are starting to do things that they could not or would not or did not do before. Okay, now, but, but the key thing that I want you to see is this, that the man in Christ, the believer, right, the saint is complete in Christ Jesus. The saint does not lack the spirit of God. The saint is indwelt by the spirit of God, but the saint has to do something about that indwelling.
So now that I'm indwelt, do, uh, what do I do with the spirit that I have received? And that is why the mind comes in. A man whose mind is not renewed to the riches or the truth of redemption will be as though he does not have what God says that the man has. You know, let, let me give an example. Look at 1 Corinthians and chapter 12. 1 Corinthians and chapter 12. Yeah. Uh, it says in verse one, it says, now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I will not have you ignorant. Okay. So what, number one, it's about spirituals. And uh, number two, the challenge was ignorance. Listen carefully. So when it comes to spirituals or the things of a spirit, one be as in anything spiritual, the greatest hindrance to enjoying or expressing or releasing or participating in the supernatural will be ignorance about the facts that govern it. Now, look at verse two. Uh, so look at verse one. Verse one is Paul doesn't want them ignorant. Okay. How did he solve it? Look at verse three. Wherefore, I give you to understand. So the understanding that he gave them was the answer to the ignorance that uh, they had in verse one. Now, but if you, if you study this more closely, look at verse two, you know. So there was something they knew. He says in verse two, you know that ye were, underline that past tense, you were Gentiles carried away onto dumb idols. Now, why does Paul call an idol dumb? It's because, okay, look at the next verse. You see it. Look at the next verse. Wherefore, I give you to understand that no man speaking. So there's a speaking. Look at it. There's a speaking by the spirit of God. And so that which is not speaking by the spirit of God is said to be dumb in verse two. So there is a speaking by the spirit of God and there is a not speaking by the spirit of God. That which is speaking, but is not speaking by the spirit of God is said to be dumb. Why? What it is saying is not contributing to the things of the spirit of God. So verse uh, Back to verse 2, you know that you are Gentiles carried away onto these dumb idols, even as you were led, okay? Even as you were led. Now, in other words, the, the man not in Christ has a knowledge of the supernatural, but that knowledge is an idol-dominated knowledge, is an idol-initiated knowledge, is an idol-instructed knowledge. It is not the knowledge that is taught by the spirit of God. Let me say it again. So a man can participate in the spiritual and that uh, participation can be the way that Gentiles participate, which Paul calls ignorance. Why is it ignorance? It is not the right knowledge. Why is it not the right knowledge? It is dumb. What makes it dumb? Is it that nothing is said? No, something is said. But what is said is not spoken by the Spirit of God. Okay, so that means the spiritual must be understood by that which the Spirit of God said. Now, look at verse 3. So as a believer, I must ask myself, my understanding of spirituals, is it, is it based on 
the same knowledge that the world around me has? Or is it based on that which the spirit of God says? Now, so it says in verse three, wherefore I give you to understand that no man speaking by the spirit of God calleth Jesus accursed. Look at it again. And that no man can say that Jesus is Lord. In other words, the spirit of God will actually magnify Jesus. Which, when you say Jesus is Lord, what, what, what does that mean? Now, hold your hand in that place, please. Hold your hand in that first Corinthians 12 and come with me to Acts chapter 2. What, what does it mean that Jesus is Lord? Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. Yeah. In Acts 2, uh, you come with me to um, uh, verse 24 or verse 23. Him being delivered by the determinate counsel and the foreknowledge of God, yeah, you have taken. That means what, what, what that means is that God was the one that actually handed himself over in his own plan, right? For man to do with him as man pleased. In this case, men killed him so, uh, 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 in the person of Jesus. So it says, but you have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain. Verse 24, whom God had raised up. What did God do? God raised him up. Now, uh, I want you to skip down with me. Uh, time is going. Just skip down with me. Uh, look at verse 30. Verse 30 says, therefore, being a prophet, who is the he that is a prophet? Look at verse 29. Men and bread, let me freely speak unto you of David. So Peter is speaking about David. He says in verse 30, therefore, being a prophet, that means David was a prophet and knowing. What did David know? Knowing that God has sworn with an oath to him that of the fruit of his loins, according to the flesh, he, that is God, will raise up Christ, that is, that is resurrection, to sit on the throne. So the throne of David is the resurrection of Jesus. This is God will raise Jesus or Christ to sit on the throne, right? So we can say the throne of David is the resurrection of Jesus. Look at verse 31, just to be clear. He, that is David, seeing these before, speak of the resurrection of Christ. So David had a revelation of the resurrection, which he called a throne. Now, verse 32, this Jesus has God raised up whereof we are all witnesses 33 therefore being by the right and of god exalted um on and on uh, if you go to verse 36 therefore let all the house of israel know assuredly that god has made that same jesus with jesus the one they crucified yeah both lord and christ so how did god make jesus lord well, it is in uh, verse 32, God raised him up. In verse 31, he spake of the resurrection, right? Uh, 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 that's important, right? It, uh, it says in verse 24, whom God has raised up. So Jesus is Lord means that the resurrection is a reality. So let's go back to 1 Corinthians and chapter 12 then. So 1 Corinthians 12, and I'm in verse, uh, verse um, 3, it says, and that 3B now, 3B, and that no man can say that Jesus is the Lord. What does it mean to say Jesus is Lord? It means to agree to the fact of his resurrection. So nobody, so what is a dumb idol in verse two? That which cannot affirm, that which does not, is not loud on, that which is not emphatic about the resurrection of Jesus. So it says that no man can say that Jesus is Lord, but by the Holy Ghost. So what 
testimony does the Holy Ghost inspire? Uh, it's a testimony of the resurrection of Jesus. Now, that is a busy fact about spirituals. Concerning spirituals, brethren, I will not have you ignorant. The number one thing not to be ignorant about is the reality of the resurrection of Jesus. Now, how do people... Uh, uh, understand spirituals. It says Gentiles carried away onto dumb idols. Now, dumb idols, right, really refer to the gods that people worship, the gods that the heathen worship. Now, what is it about gods that people worship? Well, uh, people have as many gods as they have issues. So look at it. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 8. 1 Corinthians chapter 8. It says, in verse 4, as concerning, 1 Corinthians 8, 4, as concerning, therefore, the eating of those things that are offered in sacrifice unto idols, you see idols, we know that an idol is nothing in the world and that there is none other God but one. Verse 5, but though there be that are called gods, plural, whether in heaven or earth, as there be gods, plural, many, and lords, many, you see, but to us, there is one God. Look at that. So what is the world? The world refers to those that recognize and relate to many gods. So when you need when you need rain, there'll be the god of rain. When you need harvest, the god of harvest. When you uh, when it's too hot, the god of cool, or the god when it's too cold, the god of heat. So men that are lost to the revelation of Jesus, they have many gods. There is a god for each thing. But look at what Paul says in First Corinthians eight six to us. There is one God, the Father, of whom are all things, we in him, one Lord Jesus, and by whom are all things, and we by him. Let's go back to 1 Corinthians 12. So for us, there's one God, but for the world, there are many gods. So when it comes to spirituals, go to verse 4. Now, there are diversities of gifts. So that means the gifts are many. But the same spirit, the spirit is one. What does the world think? The world will think that, ah, well, there is a spirit for word of knowledge, another spirit for word of wisdom, another spirit for tongues, another spirit for interpretation, another spirit for leading. So somebody says, me, I have tongues. Another person will say, me, I have interpretation. Another person will say, me, I don't have tongues, I don't have interpretation. What may I have is design of spirits. That will be operating from the knowledge of dumb idols right? For us, there is one spirit. Look at it again. First Corinthians 12, 4. Now there are diversities of gifts. So you could say tongues, interpretation, you could say prophecy, you could say designing, but it's one spirit, the same spirit. Now, you know what's interesting? You see that same spirit is that spirit that is in every believer, right? That same spirit is the spirit in every believer, not twins, not triplets, not quadruplets, not sextuplets, not, uh, it's not, there's no, the spirit of God is not variety. There's, there's only one spirit, the same spirit, although there are diversities of gifts. Now, go back with me to Romans and chapter 8 and verse 9. So Romans 8, 9 says, you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if so be that the spirit of God dwell in you. 
So what dwells in me? The spirit of God. What dwells in me? The spirit of God. So let's go back to 1 Corinthians and chapter 12 then. Yeah, in verse 4. Now there are diversities of gifts. There are diversities of gifts. There are diversities of gifts. But the same spirit. Now, here is, your, here is the challenge. Are you going to focus on the diversities of gifts or the same spirit? Well, let me tell you the answer. Focus on the spirit. Focus on the spirit. So the same spirit. You know, if you're not careful, there's a tendency to think, oh, that person has this. I don't have it. Some other person has that. No, 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 no. You have the spirit of God. The same spirit, but many diversities. That's the tautology, sorry. Yeah, the same spirit, diversities. Now, so in other words, in the spirit of God that I have, there are diversities of gifts in that spirit. Now, this is one of the things that the believer should not be ignorant about. It is not that, hey, I first got tongues. Then one day I went back to God and I bawled, I squalled, I cried, I wept, I, I moaned, I, 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 you know, I grumbled, I, I did this or the other. No, no. The spirit of God is the origin and the source of the diversities of the gifts. Now, in fact, it says this in uh, verse uh, eight, for the one given by the spirit. Which spirit? The spirit of God in us by the word of knowledge, the word of wisdom to another word of knowledge by the same, by the same. Uh, it says by the same spirit. The, it says again uh, to in verse, uh, verse nine to another faith by the same, to another gifts of healings by the same. Verse 10 to another working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another zen of spirits, to another diverse kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. But look at verse 11. But all these worketh the one, the self same. Dividing to every man severally as he wills, the self same. Now, I want you to keep your eyes on I must not be ignorant, I must understand the spirit. Now, don't follow the gifts, right? Be sensitive to the spirit because the man that has the spirit has the gifts, right? Because the gifts are in the spirit and the spirit is in you, right? The gifts are in the spirit and the spirit as you. Let me give you an example. One in verse 10, it says to another, the diverse kinds of tongues. To another, the diverse kind. You see that word diverse there, right? You will notice in your Bible that it is uh, not there. It's italicized. So to another kinds of tongues, kinds of tongues. What is meant by kinds of tongues? Well, go to First Peter chapter 2. Verse nine, you see, it says, you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. You see, when he said kinds, that is what is called nation, right? We are a holy nation, something that belongs to a family, something that belongs to a tribe. In other words, something that marks out a collective of people, something that describes a collective. It's not unique to one person. It describes everybody in a family. It's a description of a group, right? So that's what kinds. Let's go back then to 1 Corinthians and chapter 12. So in verse 10, for example, I'm just speaking on that. To another, 
Kinds, kinds means <clears throat> what pertains to a group. So that means kinds of tongues will be the tongues that pertains to a group. What group? The group that believes. For we are a, a chosen generation. So the believer has this. Now, let me say it again. As a believer, what you have is not tongues. What you have is the spirit. Now, uh, if what is needed is tongues, then by the spirit of God, you can lumber, know, you can lay hold, you can seize and then bring it forth. Look at what uh, 1 Corinthians 14 says as I stop. Look at 1 Corinthians 14. 1 Corinthians and chapter 14. It says in verse 1, follow after charity. That means follow after love and desire. In other words, the love of God will cause you to desire spiritual. Do you see that? Says, look at First Corinthians 41, follow after charity. Somebody says, well, I heard what a secular fellow is saying, but I, can, I assure you, I don't have those things it says I have. Well, Paul then said, no, the answer is follow, follow. That means pursue, follow after charity. Charity is love in action. So that love of redemption, the love of God that supplied the spirit, the love of God, the compassion of God, the mercy of God, follow that, pursue that, right? Um, yeah, pursue that. It says, follow after. Uh, thank you, Pastor. Uh, I will, uh, Pastor does charitably give me uh, 14 more minutes. So I'll take it. So follow after charity and desire. Look at that. You follow, you pursue. In other words, why did those disciples in Acts 8 in Samaria, why did they not talk in tongues? Because they did not pursue it. Yeah, they did not know that in the love of God, it was theirs already, for they were the father's sons. So pursue, follow after. So you, you must not be neutral when it comes to the things of the spirit. You don't say, eh, it's them people that are going to flow. We, we're just coming to watch them. No, it says follow. That means pursue. So follow after charity. So in other words, what should motivate me is love. You know, many people think what should motivate us when it comes to the gifts of the spirit is power. No, it is love. The love of God that is in Christ Jesus. That love that is in us. We pursue it. So pursue charity and desire. So in other words, your desire is the proof that you are taking hold of the things of the spirit, desire spirituals. You will notice that the word gift is italicized there. So the same spirituals that Paul has been talking about in 1 Corinthians 12, it continues here. So when he says, don't be ignorant, how will I demonstrate that I'm not ignorant? Number one, I know that I have a spirit. Number two, I know that within that spirit are all the gifts. Number three, I know that it is my place to pursue by desire. Let me say it again. It is my place to pursue by desire, right? He said, look at it again. First uh, Corinthians 14, 1, follow after charity and desire spirituals, but rather that you may prophesy. In fact, go back to chapter 12, first Corinthians 12, and let's go to the very last. Uh, 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 let, let's go down to the very last uh, verse, verse 31, first Corinthians 12, 31, but Corvette, you see that word? Corvette. What did Paul teach them 
about not being ignorant. He's saying, if you open your mouth like a day old chicken and you expect that one day when God deems it fit, I'll be able to flow in these things, then it's not going to happen. But rather you actively covet. How do you covet earnestly? As though coveting was not enough. He said, covet it earnestly. What do you covet? The best gifts. Where are the best gifts? In the same spirit, verse 4. The best gifts are in the same spirit. He now told them, I am going to show you the excellent way of coveting. Chapter 13, it talks about love. Chapter 14 in verse 1, it then says, pursue. So pursue love. Desire spirituals. That means if I don't desire to bless the people with the things of a spirit, I will not express it. It's not voodoo, right? So in other words, the things of the spirit do not happen to the believer from outside. No, the things of the spirit, they happen through the believer by the believer not being ignorant of the realities of a spirit because of what Christ has done, that believer then knows to pursue and to persist in pursuing by desire, right? Uh, that same believer covets earnestly that the things of a spirit will be expressed through him. Now, so it says here in 1 Corinthians 14 verse 1, follow after charity and desire spiritual gifts, but rather that you may. Did you see the word you? That's the word Y-E. It means all of you. So follow after love, desire, so, but rather that all of you, all of you, all of you may prophesy. So how does prophecy get expressed? You pursue love. If you love the people around you, you will know that you can bless them within that love. For God so loved, he gave, right? Uh, the love of God gives. That love of God in you will cause you to give of the things of the spirit. So it says, follow love, desire, desire spiritual gifts. Why can you give the things of the spirit? Number one, you are indwelled by the spirit. Number two, the things of the spirit are in the spirit. That means the gifts of the spirit are in the spirit. And number three, I'm to pursue. As I pursue and desire, what is within comes out. Yeah, it says, and so I will prophesy. Now, uh, hold on. I want to see something. So it says, but rather that ye may prophesy. Now, what on earth does it mean by you may prophesy? Now, come, come with me to verse three. He that prophesieth speaketh. Huh. He that prophesieth speaketh. Now, so who will speak? The person prophesying. Will a force move your mouth? No. Will uh, will something like a pin smack you at the back of your head? No. Will uh, will uh, your eye just open of its own accord? No. I, I, is there going to be a ghostly voice saying, say after me, yay, my people? No. Rather, he that prophesied. So you are the he, right? So when you read verse three, you say, I'm not ignorant. The spirit of God is in me and the, and the gifts are in the spirit. The spirit is in me and the gifts are in the spirit. I pursue love and in pursuing love, I desire to express. Now it says in verse three, he that prophesied, speak it. So if you keep on thinking, 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 you won't speak in tongues. You won't prophesy. 
It is only when you speak that you have spoken. Until you have spoken, you haven't spoken. So how does a man speak in tongues? It would be by beginning to speak. How does a man flow in the things of a spirit? It is by beginning to exercise that which is in control of. You are in control of your mouth. You are in control of your desire. You are in control of your pursuits. You are in control of your knowledge. So you align your, your knowledge. You align your desire. You align your pursuits with your mouth and take it that it is the language of the family. This thing is our family inheritance. Every one of us can participate in it because it's the father's gift to us. So I give myself. Now, so he says in 1 Corinthians 14, 3, he that prophesied, speak it. So you tell yourself, I am that prophesying man. I love men enough to come out of my own head and to just stop thinking only and to add action of speaking to my thinking. Yeah. So he says in verse 3, Either prophesied, speak it unto men to edification, exhortation, and comfort. Now, look at verse 4. Either speak it in an unknown tongue. He edifies himself. Either prophesied, edify the church. Can you see? So, I want the church edified. So, what do I do? I speak to the church. What does it mean to speak to the church? I will not just talk in tongues. Because if, I, if all I do is to talk in tongues, I edify myself in verse 4. I must then do something other than speaking in tongues or in addition to speaking in tongues in order that I can take everybody into edification. That, that edification means to build up, right? Now, look at verse 5, for example. Verse 5, Paul illustrated, I would that ye all, he underlined that, what is ye all? All of you. So I would that you all speak with tongues. So why would some people not speak in tongues? They do not know that they have a divine permission to speak in tongues. They are waiting for something. They are, they are waiting for whatever they are waiting for. Now, boy says here, I will that you all speak with tongues, but rather that ye prophesied. Oh, ho, ho. So how many believers did Paul expect to prophesy? All believers. All believers. He says that, that you prophesied for greater. That word greater means he is getting something done. For greater is he that prophesied than he that speaketh with tongues. Hold on, hold on. He didn't say that God is bigger in one man than the other. No, it's not a, it's not a variation in the size of God. Now, uh, I, I know we are Pentecostals, yeah? But, and Pentecostals are quite big on the word anointing. Now, but he, he didn't even say one person has more anointing than another. He just said greater is he that does one thing over what the other person doesn't do. So he says, for greater is he that prophesied than he that speaketh with tongues. So in other words, I can say, all I'm going to do is tongues. Or I can say, I'm going to do greater I'm going to add something to my tongues. Look at it again. In 1 Corinthians 14, 5, greater is he that prophesied than he that speaketh with tongues, except he interpret. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Who is to interpret the he that speaketh with tongues? Now, why can he that speaks with tongue interpret? Because he understands that both the interpretation and the tongues are in the spirit and the spirit is in the believer for the believer to use to edify people. Glory to God. Now, so in other words, uh, when we come together then, yeah, we, we can have a phenomenal uh, camp meeting in 2022. That means I will not come as a spectator. 
I will come as that believer. I will add to, I will, I will add one, my presence, two, my participation, three, my words, four, my desire, my expectation, right? Six, I will actually participate in, yeah, giving a tongue. Or seven, I will participate in interpreting the same, right? I will not shortchange myself, right? I will basically lambano. So I will not stop. For example, in Acts 8, those believers, they stopped at, we are born again, that's enough, right? Uh, but then Peter and John came and then told them, don't stop there, lambano, take, is there. Take it. It is there. Take it. So they took and they spoke in tongues. Paul is now saying, don't stop at tongues. Take it. Interpretation is there. Take it. And when you take interpretation, add it to your tongues, you prophesy. So prophecy is there. You see the way it works. So it will look like you are doing one thing, but you are doing many things by actually uh, not stopping. You don't stop at, eh, well, you see, I'm a shy person. No, you are the shy person that edifies people. Uh, well, I don't really talk. No, you are the I don't talk person that speaks by the spirit, that speaks the things of the spirit, that edifies others, that contributes to the meeting and moves in the Holy Ghost, right? Let me say one more time. The things of the spirit require your zeal. Go to verse 12. Verse 12. Verse 12, 1 Corinthians 14, 12. Even so ye, what is ye again? All of you. So this thing Paul is writing pertains to everybody in Kingsville. Even so, all of you, for as much as you are what? Zealous. So I am to be zealous of spirituals. Then it says, seek that you may excel. In other words, whether I excel in the things of the spirit or I don't excel in the things of the spirit, it is not in the hands of God. Look at verse 12 again. Even so ye, for as much as you are zealous of spiritual gifts, seek that you may excel. So in other words, there is a coveting, a desiring, a pursuit, a persistence. There is a, a replacing ignorance with knowledge. There is, I'm going to be out there to love somebody else, love them enough to speak, love them enough to contribute, love them enough not to be a spectator. It says, seek that you may excel to the edifying. Now that means I can excel to one level today and I can excel more tomorrow and I can excel yet more the day after how much I excel in the things of a spirit is not in the hands of God. He has given us his spirit and has given us his word so, and has given us one another for us to practice, for us to pursue, for us to come to our meetings and make our meetings the house of the spirit of God. Well, guys, I'd like to stop.